You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins, and with me is Mike Chappell. We have a tremendous show on tap for you today because the Colts just ran over the number one seed in the AFC New England Patriots. Today, we're going to recap the game. We're going to discuss takeaways and then check in on the Colts playoff hopes, which are looking brighter and brighter by the week. We only have three weeks left until it's playoff time, so we'll get into all of that in just a moment. But first, we have some somewhat breaking news here. Jonathan Taylor, it is official. He has been announced to the Pro Bowl. One of five players at the NFL went ahead and named as Pro Bowl participants. He leads the entire league in Pro Bowl voting. No one has gotten more votes than Taylor deservedly so Mike uh, I believe this is Taylor's first Pro Bowl nod and hopefully one of many yeah he's the first Colt running back since Joe Adai in 2007 so you know it's been a long time since they've had a guy that they can really hang their hat on and and we can get into it later or or later in the week but you know I mentioned on the story I posted online is this this should be the least significant honor he gets because we're looking at all pro, which is really that that's the that's really the one. But then uh, MVP and uh, I don't think it gets MVP. I really don't just because it's a quarterback it's a quarterback award. But offensive player of the year, uh, I see that as a real possibility. so uh, just great things happening for the second year running back. Yeah, we'll, we'll get more into the some MVP discussion a little later in the show here. Uh, because I, I certainly have some strong feelings about that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor having a terrific year, and I'm sure on Thursday uh, we'll talk more about the entire Pro Bowl list, which Colts made it, who got snubbed. I'm sure there's going to be someone on that defense who's not happy uh, that they didn't make it, but we'll talk about that Thursday. I believe it comes out Wednesday officially, Mike, the Pro Bowl rosters. Wednesday night uh, on uh, NFL Network, and I think NFL.com but, or NFL Network, but I'm not positive. Okay, Sounds I know. I know well, today. I know today. Eight, I know today. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Well, I look forward to seeing who else from the horseshoe will be joining Jonathan Taylor at the Pro Bowl. But let's go ahead and get into it here. The seven and six Indianapolis Colts host the nine and four Patriots Saturday night prime time football. This one finally in Indianapolis, and sadly Ryan Kelly missed his second straight game. Uh, this game due to a personal matter. Uh, we'll just kind of leave it like that. Thoughts and prayers to the Kelly family um, and what they're going through there. But second straight game without Ryan Kelly for the Colts. Uh, his status is, Mike, you said his status is kind of unclear going forward right now? Yeah, again, with the fact that it being the personal matter, it, it's really difficult to ask. We didn't ask Frank on on Sunday about it. It'll come up Tuesday, I'm sure, as whether Ryan will be back and this is one when Ryan will be back when Ryan's ready to be back, and that's kind of where we'll be with that. All right. Well, uh, you know, that's obviously a very difficult conversation. There are many things that are much bigger than football. But at least uh, the good news in the meantime for Indianapolis is Danny Pinter is playing pretty well um, in that um, replacement role at center. So the Ball State uh, fifth-round pick from a couple years ago certainly getting the job done. Uh, Colts? And Patriots both began this game with a punt on their first possession, and then the Colts get things going. 
An end around to Ashton Doolin picks up 37 yards. Man, he has played a nice role in the offense this year. A heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor sets Indy up with the first and goal at the eight. And then the Colts get nifty with a direct snap to Taylor, who hands it off to Wentz, who then tips it to Hines. Naheem Hines would run it in behind a lead block from Jonathan Taylor. Taylor's blocking came up time and time again in this one. Colts strike first, seven to nothing, Indianapolis. And then Indy Steve comes up with another big stop. New England goes to punt the ball away. But linebacker Matthew Adams gets through New England's line of scrimmage and blocks the punt. EJ Speed recovers in the end zone for a special teams touchdown. Colts have had a few of those this year. Indianapolis extends the lead to 14. And boy, that's one hell of a way to start in such a big game. Colts defense continues to get the job done. Indianapolis forces a three and out with a Darius Leonard tackle in the backfield on third down. This time, New England does get their punt off cleanly, and the Colts take over at their 35. The offense drives deep into the Patriots' territory by the way of Jonathan Taylor and Carson Wentz's legs, and then they sprinkled in a little 23-yard pass to Zach Paschal. Uh, wonderful blitz pickup by Jonathan Taylor on this play. But after a first and goal at the eight, the Colts gain just one yard. A third and seven pass for Mo Ali Cox falls incomplete, and Indy has to settle for a field goal, seventeen to nothing. There's about one, four. One, and one, 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 sorry, go ahead. One Mike. thing. One, one thing on the pass to Mo Ali Cox, he's got to make that catch. He does. It was high, yes. I'm sure uh, Wentz had to throw a little bit high to get over some defenders, but those are plays that you you need to have your. Your your big tall tight end make and we normally see him make those, but that's Wentz didn't have a big day at all. Uh, this one could have helped it quite a bit. Yeah, and that's happened a few times this year where Wentz will throw a high pass for Mo Ali Cox as he should. He's usually the tallest man on the field, and it kind of hits his fingertips and falls incomplete. So that's something that Mo Ali Cox hasn't quite been able to add to his game yet. Kind of that jump ball player that his height might suggest he could be. Um, 17 nothing still as a uh, Colts have to be happy with that lead early in the game. There's about four and a half left in the before halftime here, and New England's looking to get something going. The Patriots drive down to Indianapolis' 15 yard line, but on third and three, Mac Jones' pass is intercepted by the maniac. Darius Leonard comes up with yet another turnover to give the ball back to his offense. Mike, I mean, you think at a certain point teams would just try and steer clear of Darius Leonard, but somehow he's everywhere. He's always around the ball, picking off passes, forcing fumbles. I mean, this guy's just unreal. And, and that saved points. I mean, that, that took points off the board for New England. So whether, whether you know, they, they, they go ahead and try to score the touchdown or get the field goal, that's points. So it's one thing to get a takeaway, and it's, a, it's another thing they're going to take away that takes points off the board down that deep. I think I saw that was Mac Jones's first red zone interception of the season. So it's all about time and timing. And uh, I tell you, it, it's, it's no longer a coincidence what this guy does. He, he's making plays. That, that's 10 or 11 takeaways he's had this year. And uh, that's what makes players – that's what separates players. It's one thing to rack up 15 tackles, and most of them you don't remember from some players – when you have these takeaways, game after game after game, the Colts have got like what now, uh, I think it's 31 or 33, whatever it is, on the season. So uh, they, they work on it, and they, they keep producing it. 
Yeah, I mean, and all this coming on a bum ankle that, you know, Darius Leonard's, if you watch Hard Knocks, you kind of see how much he has to go through throughout the week just to get that ankle ready for game day. But it is not close to 100%. I think at best, Darius is probably playing on 80% out there, and he's still uh, one of the best defenders, not linebacker, defenders in the NFL. There's about, at this point in the game, a minute 43 left on the clock if Indianapolis wants to get some more points before a half, but they seem content just running the ball three times and going into halftime with a 17-point lead. Patriots take over to start the second half, and Mac Jones's pass on 31 is picked off again, this time by a different linebacker, Bobby Okereke, with an incredible diving pass. I mean, Bobby Okereke's been all over the field this year making tackles, but he finally makes one of those game-changing plays that we've been looking for here, Mike. Okereke, Bobby Okereke. Remember that he he's gone back to he's gone back to his his preference. But no, you're right. Uh, I I think he's really lifted his game. We've seen him sort of getting better and better each week, and that that was just a great play anticipation, and then stretching out for it. So and that's what you need. Again, I I keep coming back to it. That's what you need. This defense still sort of drives you crazy sometimes by not getting off the field, and they give up extended drives. But when you've got your linebackers, your, your athletic linebackers making these plays, it just erases a lot of shortcomings elsewhere. It really does. Thank you for cor- for correcting me on uh, Bobby Okereke's name there. I, uh, I I always forget that from time to time. I always See, call... all I all I need to do with, with my content is spell it the right way. But so I, I I've learned I've learned Okereke because it rhymes with O'Carrot cake, so I, I should be able to get it for the rest of the season. There you go. All right. I'll have to keep working on that one. But after Okereke's outstanding interception, the Colts take over at the 20, but just go backwards from there. Uh, Incompletions on first and second down, set up a third and long, and then Carson Wentz is sacked. The Colts try a 46-yard field goal, but Michael Bagley misses wide right. Thankfully, offsides penalty on New England gives the kicker another chance. He connects this time from 41 yards out. The Colts extend their lead to 20. 20 to 0. At this point, the Patriots are getting a little desperate. Fourth and one near midfield on their ensuing drive. The Patriots decide to go for that. Mac Jones's pass falls incomplete. Good coverage by the Colts. I mean, another guy who had a great game in this one was Kenny Moore. Uh, he, he was shut down all day long. Um, didn't come up with the big play like the interception that might show up big on the stat sheet, but Kenny Moore... Uh, really played excellent in this one. We're a little through, uh, a little halfway through the third quarter now, and the Colts need to keep their foot on the gas. Indy converts a fourth and one at New England's 38 in the form of a Carson Wentz QB sneak. A couple plays later, Jonathan T- Taylor picks up seven yards on second and ten. But after this play, Michael Pittman Jr. and Patriot safety Kyle Duggar kind of get into it. Duggar rips. Pittman Jr.'s helmet off uh, during this little skirmish. Somehow both players got ejected. Mike, I want to know your thoughts on this play, what Frank had to say. Uh, You know, I didn't think Pittman deserved to be ejected for this one, but the refs went ahead and just threw them both out. This is after a review, probably from New York, where a lot of that comes from. What surprises me, maybe not that they got thrown out, but that Kyle Van Oy didn't get thrown out. He's the one that sort of escalated this when he shoved uh, Pittman in the back. 
sort of in into a Duggar, and then they sort of got you know rolling around. And again, Duggar's the one that ripped the helmet off. So we talked to Frank Reich about it, and he didn't agree with it. Uh, he said he, he wasn't going to, you know, he, he didn't have all the details and great a great shot of what went on underneath the pile. He just thought it didn't warrant ejection. Probably if you're going to do that, then with either player. But uh, we'll, I, I really believe we're going to see a, a couple of pretty stiff fines from the league office. They tend to uh, reinforce the call on the field later in the week with a fine. The, the league really frowns on ejections and fighting. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I, I didn't totally agree with it because, again, if you, if you look at it, if you're Michael Pittman, who's already a fiery player, he just is. But when someone sort of assails you like that, you're reacting. And that's why I think the Colts, while they didn't like to lose their leading receiver at that point of a of a important game, I think, again, they realized that most players would have reacted that way and should have reacted that way. And Fortunately, it didn't. In the end, it didn't. It didn't cost the Colts a win because without him, their passing game is really almost non-existent. Yeah, and you know, without being down there on the field, it's hard to exactly know everything that went on down there. But I mean, you watch any Sunday, you'll do. You'll see someone do what Michael Pittman Jr. did and not get ejected. Ripping a player's helmet off is a pretty easy way to get ejected in this league. And then, Mike, I think it's since come to light that T.Y. Hilton kind of knocked over an official. Yeah, I, I I didn't see that until today the video, and he's standing outside the scrum, and they're sort of pulling bodies off of the pile, which in itself is supposed to be a penalty. Uh, the, the league has sort of thought that the, the one way that these things escalate is when you get players coming in and they're pulling players off the pile. Uh, but yeah, if you look at it, he he's sort of you know nudging around people, and, and there's a ref to his uh, right. And T.Y., now, again, I, I, you're just kind of reading into what's going on. I think T.Y. felt somebody to his right, and he sort of extended his arm, and the, the ref goes tumbling. And there was no there was no flag or, or ejection on that. I think Bill Belichick said in his presser today that, or yesterday, he wondered why T.Y. wasn't disciplined for that. So, again, we'll, we'll see if the league uh, takes um, action on that. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I saw it as well, and he, knocking over the officials a pretty good way to get kicked out. It's, but it, it doesn't matter. I, I really don't think it matters if it's incidental or, or or on purpose. You just don't lay your hands on the officials. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't even look like T-Way was looking at the official. I'm not sure he see, knew that, that, that was that, an that, official. That that's what I mean. I think I think when when you're in that that close quarters like that, and, and you're you're feeling people on your sides, you just sort of extend arms. And obviously, if he, if he knew that was an official, he wouldn't have done it. But I, I just don't know that the league's going to look at it like, well, he didn't know. So, no, you just – however it comes out, you cannot contact an official. Well, at very least, they didn't think it warranted an ejection in that game. So, we'll move on from there on the very yeah, next and play. One of, and one, and one, one of the thing on that, when we say the officials didn't think it was warranted, the guy that was pushed down didn't think it was warranted. That's normally the guy. If you're going to do that, from you know, he wasn't involved initially. It was he was like a on the outside. If that official thought there was something there, the one that was knocked down would have would have thrown Ty out of the game. Yeah, a lot of times you see an official get knocked down by a player like that, and he's throwing the flag before he even gets up. 
But um, I, I think I think you know there's a skirmish we already talked about it, kind of incidental, um, and Ty at very least has not faced any kind of discipline from that to this point. So that was on a that was after a seven yard gain on second and ten. Very next play, Jonathan Taylor stuffed on third and three. Uh, it kind of the Colts felt kind of flat and deflated after all that energy went into the skirmish. Michael Bagley's 49-yard field goal is in no good. Uh, second missed field of the field goal of the game. He got bailed out on the first one, but badly. Uh, you know, he he was perfect for so much of the season. Now we're starting to see some cracks in his armor there. But the Patriots take over at their 39 and decide to start using tight end Hunter Henry, which we said. In our preview show that got to watch out for those Patriots tight ends because that's one way you can beat the Colts. And it sure did on this drive. Hunter Henry had four catches on this drive alone, including a crucial third down conversion and the eventual 12-yard touchdown. Patriots are on the board. 20-7 to is a score early in the fourth quarter. This game is nowhere near over. Colts take over, and it's time for the offense to do something. 19-yard pass to T.Y. Hilton gets them near midfield. That's a great way to start. But then on the very next play, Carson Wentz tries to force a pass into Zach Paschal. Ball gets tipped up in the air by the linebacker. Safety comes down with it. Just just a really a terrible decision from Carson Wentz. Paschal was not open on that play, Mike. Well, And that's – I don't want to say that's what we, I think we're needing to live with, the, these – what Andrew Lux used to call knucklehead or bonehead decisions. This team's not built for that. This team's not built to overcome those kind of decisions, especially in that situation. There's absolutely no reason, zero reason, to force the ball. You've really got control of the game. Uh, I I just, again, it wasn't a good game at all for wins, and that play really stands out as a a play that could have cost them that didn't cost them. Yeah, I mean, he he, big, big arm. Uh, big talent, Carson Wentz. I mean, he can put that ball just about wherever he wants to, and I think that gets him in trouble sometimes. He thinks he can fit any pass in anywhere, and every once in a while something bad like that happens. After the interception, New England takes over at the 47-yard line, and they're driving again. They get down to the Colts' two-yard line, but a false start penalty sets them back. Third and goal from the seven, the Colts force an incomplete pass. New England takes the field goal, and the Colts' lead shrinks to 10. Pressure is on the offense. After a 12-yard run by Jonathan Taylor, the Colts stick with the run game this time, and they face a decision on 4th and 1 from their own 43. 5.38 left to play in this game. We all know Frank Wright. He's going to go for it. Carson Wentz picks up another 4th down on another quarterback sneak. Uh, Wentz really made some big plays with his legs in this one, even if he didn't do a whole lot with his arm. Big first down conversion there. But the Colts would have to punt after failing to gain another first down. They did, however, make New England burn two more timeouts after that fourth down conversion. So even though they didn't hang on to the ball, they didn't go score, they did at least uh, take up some time and make New England use those valuable timeouts. They punt the ball off, and the Patriots get it with 3 minutes and 48 seconds left. They take over at the 18-yard line, their own 18, and they drive 82 yards in less than a minute and a half. Hunter Henry's second touchdown of the day on a third and goal from the 7 brings the Patriots within 3, 20-17. 
At this point, it is do or die time for the Colts. Ashton Doolin on first down picks up two yards on a little run. Patriots take their final timeout with two minutes and 11 seconds remaining. On second and eight, with the game on the line, Jonathan Taylor makes the play of the day. Breaks off a 67-yard touchdown run on a BEA beautiful cutback. No one's going to catch him. Touchdown, Colts. Indy's lead is back up to 10. I mean, Mike, this guy is just incredible. He is. He has put the Colts on his back this year. I couldn't imagine where this team would be without him. Best running back in the NFL. What do you have to say about it? We, we talked to Frank after the game, and, and he mentioned that he was really, really close to calling a pass play on that play. He just thought that, boy, we need, we need to get aggressive. We need to get a first down. And he thought, no, let's, let's run one more play. And that's, that's what Jonathan Taylor does. And if, when, when you start you know, lobbying for Jonathan Taylor MVP, I totally understand it. That's what this guy does. Unlike, I don't want to put shade on any other Colts running backs because, I mean, like three of them are in the Hall of Fame. I don't want to go back to Dickerson unless he wasn't here that long, but Falk and Edgerin, I just don't remember either one of them having that talented on any play. On any play, he may break it. But Taylor's had now 83, 78, and 67-yard runs this year. I, 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 again, Edgerin had his own qualities, as did Falk. Taylor's got that that you just don't know when. And that's one of our arguments early in the year when he was getting 15, 16 carries a game. This is a guy that, that he you may hold him down to four yards a carry, four yards, three yards, eight yards, but th- but then he's going to break one. And, and, and that's what the, the great, great, you know, the Derrick Henrys, that, that's what they do. The more carries, the more chances to break one. And it, it, great blocking by, by the, the whole line, but but Pinner and, and uh, uh, Quentin Nelson on that play. And then he made Donta High, Hightower um, almost whiff. And that's a quality player. And then it was him and J.C. Jackson. And, you know, I saw Next Gen Stats had, had Taylor at, was it 22.13 miles an hour? It was, it the, was fastest the fastest by, by a running back or by a, by a ball carrier. And earlier, uh, JT had the quickest runs on. It might have been the 83-yard run that he didn't score a touchdown on or whatever. But, but that, that, again, that that's what the great players do. And uh, what's really kind of impressive so far is you don't see any wear and tear. You know, knock on wood from Taylor. He looks as fresh now. He, he was on the field for all but one play. That's not the way they do things here. They just don't. Frank said they, they, he had some plays dialed up for Naheem Hines, and they had some plays dialed up for Deion Jackson. But he said things were going so well with Taylor, they just decided to stick with him. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy, and we talked about this going into the game. First key to the game was don't abandon the run because at any given point, Jonathan Taylor can break this off. Uh, and he does 29 carries on that 29th. He went 67 yards. And it's just, it's just un, almost unfair that a guy 225 built like a truck, he can run you over, overpower you, juke you out, and then also has 439 speed to take it to the house when he does get into the open field. 
there were new, two New England Patriots in that hole ready to make that tackle. And his agility at his size to make that cut and get into the open field is just it's just special. There's not very many human beings on earth who can do something like that. And the Colts are lucky to have one of them. It, and also it, it is I'm watching the game. Take, I don't want to say take away the 67 yarder, but throughout the game, he was turning one and two yard runs into four, five, six yard runs. Some of his, it was, um, it was really impressive to watch him power for yardage. Now that, that's what reminded me of Edron James. Edron got, every last yard out of a carry. And that's what JT's doing. He's getting the tough yards in between the tackles, moving the pile. And like I say, then, because again, he was still taking away the 67-yarder, and he was still, what, 103 yards on 28 carries. That's like I say, he he just wore them down, and then boom, he hits you when they've got their crap. The best... I guess compliment you can give a team in its run game is when you run when everybody knows you're going to run. You know, they crowd the line of scrimmage, and, and the great backs, when, when all you have to do is make one guy miss, and, and, and that happens. So, again, I th- th- this kid's in the midst of a, of a generational season, and we'll see what it does for the Colts. He is carrying this team. Carson Wentz was 5 out of 12 for 57 yards, I'm telling you. I can't. It, it was like I, t- I tried to look at the numbers. It's like the fifth or sixth fewest yards in a win by the Colts. I think since '84, or whatever. You just don't win with 57 yards. You just don't. But when you get Jonathan Taylor, he just sort of throws all those uh, analytics out the window. You know, Jonathan Taylor and a special teams touchdown and two turnovers from the defense. One of them in the red zone. I mean, a lot of things have to go right to win with only 57 yards passing out of your quarterback. But the Colts got those things today. After the touchdown's about two minutes and one second left. And, I mean, the way the defense, again, in the fourth quarter is giving up touchdowns, you go, this one might not be over if the Patriots get a quick score and an onside kick. But they would only drive to the 50 and eventually turn it over on downs. The Colts take victory formation to run out the final minute. Score of 27-17 to in the Colts in their eight-game losing streak against the New England Patriots. Mike, before we move on to takeaways, I believe the only injury for the Colts out of this game is safety. Andrew Sandejo, he enters the concussion pro- protocol after taking a hit to the head in the fourth quarter. Uh, ho- hopefully Andrew can come back. Uh, concussions are kind of, you know, sometimes you can make it back in a week and sometimes you can't. Everyone's very different. Um, the Colts might be down yet another body at safety in Arizona. Yeah, and I think that's the only injury to come out of the game. And I, I don't know if he took a hit to head or he delivered a hit because he's sort of kind of – he's a I, – I question how viable he is as a, as a safety over the course of a season. I, I, I don't know he gives you what, what you need. But in a straight line and, and head-to-head, he's going to whack you. He's a big hitter. Uh, if he's out, you go back to Gary Willis and George Odom. So it, it does take a body away when you go, perhaps if, when you go to Arizona. So, but, but other than that, they're still in pretty good uh, shape health-wise. Yeah, we'll definitely take that over um, what the Colts injury report was looking like earlier in the year. Uh, time for takeaways. In my opinion, Jonathan Taylor has to be the MVP of the league. 
Saturday, he had 29 carries for 170 yards in the game-sealing 67-yard touchdown. That means on the season, he has 1,518 rushing yards, 17 rushing touchdowns. Both lead the NFL. I mean, the next closest in rushing is Joe Mixon with like not even 1,100. It's not even close. Uh, Taylor's 5.6 yards per carry are second among running backs with 100-plus carries. And uh, number one is Tony Pollard, who has 5.7 on 119 carries, less than half. So it is wild the efficiency in which Taylor has maintained despite being a workhorse with 270 carries on the year. And he's, pro- he's definitely going to get to 300 uh, by the pro- maybe by next week. We'll see the way the Colts have been winning recently. Uh, Taylor has 1,854 yards from scrimmage in 19 touchdowns. Both are also league best. And, and I guess my biggest argument, all those stats are beautiful and pretty, but Mike, the Colts are 8-0 when Taylor rushes for 100 yards, 0-6 when he doesn't. MVP, most valuable player. Taylor's value to this team is blatant. It's obvious. And I think if the, Taylor was not on this Indianapolis Colts team, Marlon Mack is a nice player. But I, I don't think they win half of the games that they have in their eight wins. And, and I'll give you two or three stats to tell you why he's probably not going to get it. Okay, you ready? Now sit back and, and don't. In the MVP race, 13 of the last 14, or it's eight straight, and 13 of the last 14 have been quarterbacks. 18 of the last 21. And the only three that haven't been quarterbacks are Adrian Peterson in 2012, and then Tomlinson and Sean Alexander in five and six. So I know what you're saying. I understand that. But the, the perception, the, 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 the thought process is a quarterback has his hands on the ball every play. And unless. Unless Aaron Rodgers falls off a cliff, he's going to get the MVP. I just, I hope Taylor does. I really do. I just know how this goes, and that's why I mentioned the Offensive Player of the Year, which is which is not a bad consolation if it's that. Fifteen of the last twenty-five players to get that have been running backs, so it's sort of viewed as a consolation. But I, I can argue as strong as you can. For Jonathan Taylor, I'm just saying history says he's got a very slim chance of getting it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, and I keep phrasing it as Jonathan Taylor should get the MVP. Um, It's very hard to argue against a quarterback. Both Brady and Aaron Rodgers are having very nice seasons, but they're not having that kind of special season where they're threatening any records. Both, I mean, aren't carrying bad teams. They both have good defenses. Good running games, loaded at you know with weapons around them. Uh, I get Jonathan Taylor has a nice offensive line in front of him, but it's not like he has a real big threat of the passing game that's going to scare other defenses. Teams are trying to stop the run; they know what they're going to do, and they can't do it because Taylor and this offense are just too dominant. Uh, it's a historic season: seventeen rushing touchdowns on the year, passes Lenny Moore for the most in Colts history. 11 straight games with a rushing touchdown ties Lenny Moore's record. Uh, and 11 straight games with a rushing touchdown is the longest streak in the NFL since Hall of Famer LaDamelian Tomlinson's 12 in 2004. Uh, one of the few running backs to win MVP. 
JT has 31 career touchdowns and does not turn 23 years old until January 19th. Edron James is the only player in NFL history with more touchdowns before turning 23. Uh, Edron James had 35. So, I mean, Taylor could take that record as well. Jonathan Taylor. And one thing to keep in mind also is I didn't think it was possible early when I talked to Edron James about a month ago about this, and he sent uh, JT a, a text, and it started out by saying 2K. 2K, 2,000 yards, and I told Edron, nah, it's not going to happen. Well, right now, he, he needs, I want to say only, because he needs 160 yards a game, which you're going to say that's crazy. Well, but he can, he can do that. You know, and if you throw a 200-yard game in there, all of a sudden the average comes down. So all of a sudden, a 2,000-yard season is, is, is there as a possibility, which is a truly amazing. Yeah, and, you know, so that's 482 yards over the last three games. It's certainly doable for a player of Taylor's cat uh, caliber. I wouldn't say it's necessarily likely, but it's definitely in the mix. And, I mean, if, if he hits that 2,000, just because of that number, 2,000 yards, I think his MVP chances go up. Just Derrick because- Henry had 2,000 last year. Ro- Ro- Rogers won MVP and Derrick Henry won Offensive Player of the Year. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, Rogers also had like what 48 touchdowns to okay. three interceptions. He's not okay. quite doing that this year. You can tell. You can tell me. I told you so. When it breaks, <laughs> when it breaks down and all that. So, all right. but all but right. I tell you, right. the the fact the fact that you don't have to make a real strong argument and make stuff up to say that he's the MVP candidate tells you the kind of season he's having. Uh, his numbers say he's very definitely is top two or three anyway. Uh, he, he just is. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I don't think anyone could argue that he's probably top two or three right there uh, with those guys. Taylor needs just 191 more yards to break Edge and James's team record of uh, 1,709, which James set back in year 2000. And uh, Colts, as a team, ran for 226 yards on 39 carries. Mike, you wrote a wonderful article about how many times the Colts have rushed for over 200 yards under Frank Wright. I mean, the Colts have done it 32 times in the Indianapolis area era, 11 times since Wright took over in 2018. They have four of the NFL's 24 200-yard games uh, heading into Sunday. I mean... What a switch up from the years of Peyton Manning and, you know, Andrew Luck throw the ball all over the yard. And then Frank Wright comes in and really wants to establish the run and has been extremely successful in doing so. And again, we'll get to, you got just later on down here. It's really great. They're doing that for the last six games over 200 yards. And it's funny there, there've been, I think it's 24, 200 yard games in the season this year, four by the Colts and four by, Nick Sirianni's Eagles. So, you know, the, the, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree type of thing. But, it's, again, that's what J- Jonathan Taylor does, like, like Frank was mentioning. He's always used 150 yards as the gold standard in rushing. Well, now he went and joked to his coaches the other day, it's 200 yards. That's our standard. Well, that's not, you know, that just doesn't happen that often, you think. But uh, they've got they've got the mindset to do it. They've got the running back to do it. They've got the line to do it. 
But when you get to one of these takeouts you got on here, the quarterback cannot go five for twelve for fifty-seven if you're going to make a deep run in the playoffs. It just can't happen. No, not not likely. But uh, the second big takeaway here is the defense played big in a big game, and running the football and playing good defense is the classic formula to winning. Uh, in January in those winter years in the NFL. They held the Patriots scoreless until the fourth quarter. Uh, two more turnaway, uh, takeaways uh, to add to their lead-leading number. I believe that puts them at 31 on the year. I think they had 29 coming in. Uh, Darius Leonard continues to— I, I don't think he will win Defensive Player of the Year because I think T.J. Watt and those sack numbers are going to catch a lot of people's eyes. But on Saturday, Leonard had— 10 total tackles, one interception, and another forced fumble. That means on the season he has 107 total tackles, six forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, seven interceptions. I'm I'm sorry, three interceptions, seven total passes defended. Um, I mean, he is right up there with the best defenders, the most impactful defenders in the NFL. But you just look at a guy like T.J. Watt, Mike, 17 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, and three fumble recoveries himself. It's going to be hard to beat that. Because, again, this, the, the, the sacks and interceptions are what really jump out at you. And what Darius gives you is a lot of everything. You know, again, he's always got that fat stat line, yet he's not going to have – it's going to be hard to, to – when, you know, T.J. Watt, he may end up breaking the league uh, sack record. You don't know. And Trayvon Diggs with 10 interceptions. But, again, top five guys, if he's not in the top five voting, uh, he'll go ballistic and we'll know about it because he, he always finds ways to, to motivate himself. But he's got to be in the discussion just because of the way he impacts games. Yeah, and apparently, you know, based on how these things go, he needs some more sack to, sacks if he's ever going to get defensive player of the year uh, serious consideration I mean he 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 stuffed the stat sheet this year still zero sacks on the season so we'll see if he can uh, at least get one or two before the year is over someone who did have a sack DeForest Buckner had the Colts only sack of the game came on a big third down Uh, DeForest Buckner continues to be one of the best interior defensive players in the league hopefully he's not snubbed of a pro bowl for a second straight year we'll find out about that on Wednesday uh, the defense, it was one of the keys to the game. They stopped the run. They held New England running backs to 39 yards on um, 14 carries. The Patriots' most successful runs were usually kind of end rounds to the wide receivers. Mac Jones took off for a 12-yard run. But in, in terms of turning around and handing the ball off, you know, the formula New England used to beat the Bills, the Colts shut that down and really said, Mac Jones, you're going to have to beat us. Uh, and then I kind of lumped this in with the defense here, Mike, because technically fourth down, you're still kind of on defense. But that special team's block for a touchdown was huge. I mean, without that, this game looks much different. Uh, it was EJ Speed's <laughs> second blocked punt touchdown of the year because he had one in Jacksonville. One of your many wonderful articles he wrote after the game says, according to NFL research, Speed is the first player with multiple touchdowns on blocked punts in a season since Baltimore's Ed Reed in 2003. If you're in the same conversation with Ed Reed, that's good company to have. Special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone needs a raise because he has called and predicted several of these blocked punts over the years. 
Yeah, that's two that's two touchdowns in five games for special teams. And Speed's got them both. And what's crazy is EJ Speed got was an ASC special teams player of the week against Jacksonville for the return. And oh never mind that Zaire Franklin's the one that blocked the doggone thing. So I asked uh EJ Speed, would you rather block a punt or return one for a touchdown? He said, Oh, he said blocking it, which he did last year uh at Tennessee. A TGA Carey took in for a touchdown. So, again, Bubba Ventrone, what, what's crazy is you watch uh, HBO Hard Knocks and and after the uh, Jacksonville game, they put on there how he he told he, he predicted they were going to do it. And he, he predicted Zaire Franklin was going to do it because of what he saw. And I'm sure we'll see this Wednesday night that he'll it'll come up again that he sort of said, if you guys execute this the right way, we're going to get another one. So, you know, kudos to Bubba and – the player, the players love him. He, he's extremely critical with them. He drives them, but he, he's getting the right, the right uh, production. He's got just a great, great group. Remember, Georgia Odom was All Pro special teams last year. All Pro again. All Pro is what matters for leading the league in, in special teams tackles. And this year it's Ashton Doolin. So uh, special teams. Uh, how many times have we seen these guys, you know, down balls inside the five, inside the ten, and then when you get these shock plays by by your by your block teams, it just turns the game around. Well, and it didn't end up. The Colts still lost this game to Tampa Bay, but think about that Isaiah Rogers return that almost was in the waning seconds and gave the Colts an actual chance at the very end um, to tie that ball game up. So special teams, kudos to that entire group. Uh, they're arguably the best in the league. Uh, final takeaway here is less seems to be more with Carson Wentz. His stat line, five completions on 12 attempts, just 12 attempts for 57 yards. Touchdown, also had the ugly interception. Uh, five completions, Mike, you noted, are tied for the third fewest in franchise history in a win and the fewest since 1974, a whole different era of football. Uh, the Colts' two biggest wins this year, Buffalo and New England, came on Wentz's two most quiet days. He threw for just 106 yards against the Buffalo Bills. I get it. Jonathan Taylor scoring five touchdowns had a little bit to do uh, with Wentz's lack of production. But I also saw you noted on Twitter, Mike, Wentz is 27-7 and when he throws 34 or fewer passes in a game. This is over the span of his career. 27 and 7 when he throws 35 or more passes in a game he's 16 31 and 1 and and that really has showed up big this year the Colts eight wins Carson wins through less than 34 passes I understand some of that is skewed because if you're losing you're going to be throwing the ball if you're winning you're going to be running the ball more um, so I don't think it's necessarily a hard and fast line that the more wins passes the ball, the more bad things are going to happen. Part of that is just game flow. If you're winning, you're going to throw less. But I do think there is something here that if you can't ask Carson Wentz to do too much because every 25, every so many passes, he's going to have one of those bonehead plays that just really sets you back. But the over-under is 34. It's not 15. So... (laughs) Well, again, well, what what I keep coming back to is that you, you can't. I don't care what I don't care what Jonathan Taylor does unless he goes for three hundred yards. 
five for 12 against a quality opponent is not going to cut it. So, you know, whether it's again, eight, right, 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 right. Now, now I, I can live with 18 for 25 for 210. They're like 24th in the league in passing, averaging 204 yards a game. I just, I, I totally buy into Frank and the run. It's, it's in our DNA and all this. I totally get it because that's how this team is built. It just is. But this is still a passing league. It just, it just, it just is. And I, I, for me to think that they can't, that they can go deep in the playoffs with a quarterback just being along for the ride and converting fourth and one sneaks, I, I, I don't buy it. So I, 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 they do need to have a quarterback do more. Again, I'm fine with 18 for 25 and, and take care of the football and all this. And, and I think we're going to get that. I, I still, I'm, I'm still on the train that says Wentz is the right guy, you know, primarily because he has to be. I mean, we've talked about that. There's, there's no really plan B in the, in the near future. It just when you have a game like that and, and the, the attention is on the defense and on the running game, it, it's, it's hard for me to still look totally past 5 out of 12 for 57 yards. Keep in mind, one of those completions – was that little flip to Naheem Hines and 12 of the 57 yards were on that play. So take those away and you primarily got a, a deep ball to T.Y. and a deep ball to to Zach Pascal. So I don't make too much about it, but I, I, it's hard for me to ignore 5 out of 12 for 57 because that's not good enough. Yeah, and that's, that's an aberration. I, I do, to Wentz's defense... A new team. He has not practiced a lot during the offseason. Outside of Michael Pittman Jr., who was ejected uh, halfway through the third quarter, really one of the weaker pass-catching groups in the NFL. I, I no don't question. Mean, I don't mean to disrespect anybody on that team. There are good players. T.Y. Hilton will go up in the Colts' ring of honor one day. But uh, there's just not a whole lot outside of Pittman Jr. right now. And that left tackle, Fisher has come a long way. I think he's gotten a lot better, and he's been dominating in the run blocking. But he can still be a liability from time to time when trying to protect Carson Wentz's blind side. So there are reasons why Wentz isn't necessarily lighting up the stat sheet. Uh, I just think it's an interesting trend over here that it seems to be the Colts' formula for winning and winning big and beating the best teams is running the hell out of the ball and taking the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands. Um, and, and, and like I mentioned... As bad as those numbers were, Mo Ali Cox has got to make that catch. He, he does. Y- yes, it was high, but you got to make that catch. So, so there there were reasons, and had a couple other plays worked, then they're not quite, the stats aren't quite that bad. They probably would have been similar to the uh, to the Buffalo game, as far as yardage and all that. So, so again, I'm not going to get blown out of purport, or out of whack over it, but I agree with you. Even with Pittman, even with Pittman. This is not a strong receiver group. And what we've seen for 14 games has only reinforced what we were our concerns going into the season. Next year, and we can do a really a nice podcast on this later, the two overriding concerns, again, edge pass rusher, because it, it's not there. It's just not there in receiver. And, and you hope that Fisher can be good enough, but coming out of this game, it just, to me, the fact that you don't have a, a strong number two receiver and a top edge pass rusher, they're glaring. Absolutely. And that will definitely be the topic of many conversations 
once we get into the offseason. But let's go ahead and look at the bigger picture here because the Colts look, at least for now, the Colts are a playoff team. Focusing in on the AFC South before we look at the entire conference, the Titans lost to the Steelers 19-13 on Sunday. Tennessee is now 9-5 after losing three of their last four games. The Colts, just one game back when you're looking at the wins and losses. The Colts 8-6. Technically, they're really two games back because they lost both matchups to Tennessee. Uh, so without that tiebreaker, the Colts are going to have to win one more game than the Titans. You look at the Titans' remaining schedule. They play the red-hot 49ers next week. Then they play the Dolphins, who are on a six-game winning streak themselves. And they finish this season with Houston, who's already beat the Titans once this year. So I'm not saying it's impossible, um, but the Titans would have to continue to stumble in the Colts. I mean, if the Titans go one and two for the rest of the year and the Colts win out, uh, the Colts win the AFC South for the first time since, what was it, 2014? 14, yep. Which, man, it... it I keep having to remind myself it's been that long because the Colts have made keep, the playoffs I, several times. But I, I mentioned that in the story today, and I, and I had to go back and double-check myself because I was thinking, no, they had to win it once in whatever. No. And they used to own this with, with Peyton and that group. So, And, again, the important thing about winning your division, you're, you're at home for the first-round game. So, And, again, all along, I, I've not considered the AFC South really realistic. But. The, the Titans are are, are 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 sort of spiraling. I, I, again, I've never I've never bought into Ryan Tannehill, and, and, and I just haven't. If they go one and two, again the Colts would have to win out, which brings the the the, the, the Saturday game huge at Arizona, and, and they're struggling right now. So it, it it's all of a sudden it's 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 doable without ten ten different things happening. So. What I didn't think was going to happen, it could very well happen. Yeah, I remember I think it was the first episode of the season of Hard Knocks, and uh, <coughs> Frank Wright mentioned walking uh, in one of their old workout rooms or something like that, and that last you know, AFC South Championship banner was 2014, and he was like, guys, that's our goal this year. And at the time, I was like, well, there's no way that's going to happen. The Titans have like three or four game lead on the Colts. The Colts are middling around 500. All of a sudden... It's doable, and you know the Colts might go three and zero if they continue to play good football. Because Detroit just beat the Arizona Cardinals, not even close. It's thirty to twelve on Sunday. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss the rest of the regular season at least, and this offense just does not look the same without their number one receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, out there. Rightly so, he's one of the best wideouts in the league when healthy. But all of a sudden, that Arizona game where, man, just a couple weeks ago, the Cardinals were the top team in the NFL. They had only lost two games. Well, they're kind of stumbling down the stretch here. Uh, in Detroit, <laughs> with their win, means that the Jaguars currently have the top pick in the NFL draft. They're sitting at 2-12. They might go back-to-back -back years as the worst team in football. Uh, we didn't even mention uh, Urban Meyer's firing just because we've had more important things to talk about. But he's officially gone. Didn't even make a, a whole season as a coach. Uh, Jaguars, their interim coach, lost the first game. Uh, it was against the Texans, so Houston picks up their third win of the season. Let's go ahead and stop talking about losing teams. Let's talk about this playoff picture here. The four division leaders, number one, Kansas City Chiefs, who 
have gone in on a tear after struggling to start the year. Kansas City's 10 and 4. New England falls back to number 2 at 9 and 5. Tennessee's number 3 at 9 and 5. And then Cincinnati takes over the AFC North with an 8 and 6 record. Uh, they just beat the Broncos, another team contending. Um, so you look at the wild, those wild card spots there. The Colts have that fifth, that first wild card spot, fifth seed in the AFC altogether with eight and six record. That's because the Chargers, who had that spot last week, just lost to the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night. The Buffalo Bills have that seventh and final AFC playoff spot. They're also eight and six, and man, that Colts win over Buffalo proves to be bigger and bigger by the week uh, for Indianapolis to have that tiebreaker. Some teams in the hunt. You talk about spiraling, Mike. The Ravens are spiraling. They just lost another game uh, uh, by deciding to go for two instead of the tie after scoring a touchdown in the final seconds there. The Ravens are now 8-6. and six. It didn't feel that that long ago. They had the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, Cleveland uh, is in the hunt. They're 7-6. and six. They play today on Monday, and they're going to do so without their top two quarterbacks because of COVID reasons. Uh, there are several teams in the NFL just really playing shorthanded as COVID continues to run through the league. And knock on wood, the Colts are able to avoid that. Uh, Pittsburgh's in the hunt. They're 7-6-1 and one after their win over Tennessee really keeps them alive. Miami's 7-7. Seven and seven. Denver uh, is 12th in the AFC. They just lost to Cincinnati. And prayers up for Teddy Bridgewater, who was carted off the field after suffering a concussion in that game. So they might be without their starting quarterback and 7-7 record with three weeks to go. It's not looking too great. Uh, 13th and last team I'll mention here in the AFC is the Raiders. They are 6-7. and seven. They play the Browns uh, Monday evening. And then in a couple weeks, they'll play the Colts. So Raiders are another team who started hot and has really been struggling down the stretch. Mike, you look at the schedule here. The Colts play at Arizona on Christmas, second straight Saturday game. Then they play at home against the Raiders, and they finish the season in Jacksonville, currently the worst team in the NFL. You noted in one of your articles here, according to 538.com, the Colts have an 89% chance of making it to the playoffs and a 16% chance of winning the division uh, over the Tennessee Titans. Uh, looking at all this, breaking it down, what are your thoughts on the Colts' playoff chances and ultimate playoff seeding? Probably a fine. I think they get in. And, you know, a loss to Arizona only drops them back to like 80% because it's an NFC game and all that. But one thing that everyone, we all need to keep in mind is how crazy these seedings are. And unless you're... Kansas City and I was going to say New England, but New England's got Buffalo coming up. But look, keep in mind how crazy the seedings are. Sunday morning, Baltimore led AFC North. Sunday night, it was Cincinnati. And if Cleveland wins tonight, Monday night, Cleveland leads AFC North. So it just shows you. I think they're they're all eight and six or seven and six or whatever. So you, you you go in one night, you go from maybe a division lead to, to out of the playoffs. So it's just, you just have to win and see how it pans out. 
That's why, again, I think the Colts are in such good shape for, for a playoff spot because AFC North is just going to cut each other up. Same's going to happen in the AFC West. So, And I, I don't think Miami's going to – I just don't know that Miami's going to get there. So that, that's why it's really encouraging how this team has come back. And you hear a lot of commentators, and sometimes they're, they're full of baloney. But you hear some of them say the, the one team you wouldn't want to face in the playoffs – is Indy, and a lot of it has to do with 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 what Jonathan Taylor does and how a running back can take over a game. So, again, take care of business. I tell you again, if I, if I'm Frank and he's he's still in the one and zero mode and one and zero mode, I understand it. But if these guys somehow, I, I would like to get to these guys and say, you know, if we go three and zero, we're going to win the AFC South because I think if they go three and zero, they will because Tennessee's sort of in a spiral. But, again, take care of business this week on Christmas and and then see what happens. I think the one thing that the Patriots game did, the win did, it sort of eliminated the, the, the likelihood of going to Jacksonville in week 18 and needing a win.